And I thought as we were considering and uh, reflecting on and being grateful for the sacrifice that was made by those in uh, warfare on behalf of our country, on behalf of freedom and democracy and uh, all those values that we hold dear, it would be important perhaps to dwell upon the most important sacrifice of all, that of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who said, greater love has no man than this, that he should lay down his life for his friends. And of course, he was speaking of himself there, not of anybody else. And that is the greatest sacrifice of all. But I wanted to think us about, particularly as the communion service as well, as we've observed, uh, something related to the sacrifice of the Lord. So if you'd like to turn to that passage, or, or I don't know if it's coming up on the screen again, but um, Luke 23, and uh, I'm thinking particularly of, of those first verses, verses 26 to 31. Luke 23, I'll just read again verses 26 to 31. We read that as the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? There have been um, many paintings uh, down uh, the centuries uh, depicting the Lord Jesus Christ on his last uh, agonizing journey uh, to Calvary. You may think of some of the great masters who have painted that scene. And they focus, of course, uh, very generally on the, the mindless screeching of uh, the mob and on, of course, Jesus himself, uh, so weak from his uh, terrible ordeal at the hands of the Roman soldiers that his cross must be carried by another once the city gates have been passed. It's a very emotive uh, story. And the aim of the artist when he's painting this scene uh, is, of course, to stir those emotions, to arouse, to evoke, to elicit uh, some emotional response to this uh, terrible scene, to excite uh, tremendous feelings of sympathy and of pity for the Lord Jesus Christ at this position, this state in his uh, journey to, to the cross. And of course, the best of them succeed. And you can stare at these pictures and you can, you can feel this uh, emotional response uh, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not just the old masters. Uh, some of you will remember that uh, Mel Gibson film, um, back in, I think it was 2004, uh, uh, the, the Passion of the Christ. Do you remember that one? And it caused a lot of controversy in many ways because the intention of the director, Mel Gibson, was to uh, uh, be as ruthlessly explicit as he possibly could in the sufferings of Christ, the passion. That's what passion means, the sufferings of Christ. And it was excruciating in its detail um, about the whippings and the scourgings he received and everything else that, uh, that happened there. And uh, there was controversy because people said, well, oh, this is terrible. We don't want to, to see this. And uh, others said, well, yes, it's right that we do. But 
it's notable that the gospel writers do not dwell upon the, the physical horror of what Jesus endured. And the reason for that, I think, is clear. Um, they know that there is a, a huge difference, a huge difference between a response to Christ, which is purely emotional, and one that is truly spiritual. And the gospel writers have no desire to sow confusion in the minds of their readers at this vital point. And the trouble is basically this, that it is all too easy for us to imagine that God is somehow pleased with a purely natural response to the cross, as though somehow that makes us Christian. And that's why I think this uh, um, supposedly or apparently minor incident that we're looking at this morning, which is recorded only in the Gospel of Luke. That, I believe, is why this minor incident is so important. Because here, Jesus himself exposes what can be a highly dangerous delusion and points us in the right direction. So that's why we're looking at it here um, this morning. We're looking at the difference between a purely natural response to Christ which may be emotional, and a truly spiritual response to what he's done. I think this lies at the heart of the words that Jesus speaks on this occasion. Well, as uh, Jesus staggers towards uh, the cross, we read in verse 27 again, a large number of people followed him, including women <coughs> who mourned and wailed for him. And Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Now, just lying on the surface of these words, we can see that even in his last, very last hours, Jesus completely lacks any self-pity. And uh, even then, his, his only desire is for the salvation of his people. This response that he makes to the women is quite the opposite of self-pity. He's saying, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. It's, it's a, a gospel plea, even on his way to uh, the cross. And uh, his words echo down the centuries and speak, I believe, just as clearly to us. We mustn't view, in other words, we mustn't view Jesus' death as short-sightedly as these Judean women did. We're not to weep for Jesus as we might for the death of some good or famous man. The Duke of Edinburgh died recently, and uh, we heard an awful lot about him, and he seemed an incredibly decent person and quite possibly a Christian beneath it all. Who knows? Only God. But the point is, um, there was a lot of general mourning, and you can imagine what they'll be when the Queen dies. She's not able, unfortunately, to even attend the uh, centenary service, uh, uh, the, the service rather, at the, uh, the cenotaph uh, today. And that was sad news, and people were sad about that. But, you know, the Queen cannot possibly live for many, much longer. Um, and when she dies, there will be just a total overwhelming sense of grief in this nation. And there will be tears. 
of remembrance for a very good and, and godly woman. And that's, that's right, and that's how it ought to be. There should be an emotional response in that way. But what Jesus is saying here, that this is something completely different when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not to weep for Jesus and his death upon the cross as we would for some good or famous person. This is a death like no other. He neither wants nor needs our sympathy, let alone our pity. He is no object of pity in this, but he is an object of wonder and of awe and of reverence and of godly fear. And a mere emotional response to his sufferings is of no use to him and is even less than useless to us. So it does nothing at all. So, so, so here it is. Let's just concentrate our thinking. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. So it's two commands here, aren't there? Do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. We'll look at these two commands, but I'm going to spend by far most of my time on, on this first command. Do not weep for me. So when I say, now let's look at the second bit, and you think, my goodness, how long has he spent on that? I promise you, you know, a couple of minutes there. I mean, we had a couple of minutes silence. We'll have a couple of minutes of listening just on that point. So don't worry about that. Do not weep for me, says the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just simply give you some reasons why we are not to weep for Jesus as he goes to his death. And the first reason I give you is, is this, because Jesus' death was not just another soon-to-be-forgotten crucifixion. Um, thousands and thousands <coughs> of people were crucified publicly by the Romans uh, to encourage the others. And there was absolutely no doubt that there was nothing in the Romans' mind that should make this particular crucifixion any different from all the others that they performed. But this is different. We do not weep for Christ because this is so different. It was planned in eternity past and will be rejoiced over in eternity to come. This is a death like absolutely no other. Planned by God. Designed by God. Agreed in the Godhead between the Father and the Son that the Lord Jesus Christ would come and that he would die ultimately upon a cross. This was something planned by God. Jesus knew it was coming, and when it was coming, all the details were known. This whole death is something which just raises itself way above anything else and has eternal significance as no other death does. And we don't weep for Jesus when he goes to the cross because this is not remotely the death of uh, a wretched, weak, and broken man. As these women watched Jesus pass, that's what they thought. They thought, what a shame. How awful it is. Look at him. Just a, a broken man. Don't you remember listening to him when he was in his pomp? And they're weeping for him as he's broken. He can't even bear his cross. Somebody else has got to carry it for him. He's been scourged. What a terrible thing. This man is weak and, 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 and broken, as I say. But no, that's not how we regard the Lord Jesus Christ on his way to the cross. This is the Son of God come down from heaven to earth to save us. 
This is the Son of God. We see in that shape of a man who has been so ill-treated, so abused, we nonetheless see the Son of God who has come, as I say, from heaven in order to save his people. How can we weep for him? And again, we don't weep for him because this is no tragic ending to a failed dream. That's what many people thought. Perhaps these women, perhaps they'd followed him. Perhaps they'd listened to him many times. And they thought, oh dear, it's all ended like this. Many people like that think, think that, that today, don't they? They think of, of Jesus, they say, well, he was a great and shining light, and of course, what would happen? Well, of course, it all failed. He had these utopian dreams, and uh, he wanted to transform society and make everybody good. He was a wonderful man, of course he was. But uh, ultimately naive, and it ended like all these plans always end. Just a, a failed dream. How miserable he must have been upon the cross when he realized that. But this is, as I say, no tragic ending to a failed dream. This is the central act of God. And the central act of God's great salvation plan to bring his people to himself. We, we, we've already seen this... This death of Jesus was something that was entirely voluntary. He isn't crucified simply by men. He, doesn't, he isn't the, the hapless victim of evil people. He is the victim of evil people, but he's not hapless. This is all planned by God, and he goes voluntarily to the cross. Jesus said in John chapter 10, you remember the word, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. This was a voluntary act by the Son of God to go to the cross. No tragic ending to a failed dream. And here's a shocker of a reason. We're not to weep for Jesus because Jesus' crucifixion was ultimately just. And maybe you wouldn't have thought of that reason. But this is a reason not to weep for Jesus we weep for Jesus, we've completely misunderstood what he was doing and what it was all about. Jesus' death upon the cross was ultimately just. The women, as we say, only saw a good man who was the victim. Perhaps they'd realized that it was the, the victim of political and religious intrigue. Oh, as those rulers, of course, they always get their own way in the end. It always had to end like this, this conflict between them. But it wasn't like that at all. They had no idea that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5, isn't it? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. When Jesus carried our sin upon the cross, in his death, God was justly punishing sin. Jesus was sinless, but he carried our sin and was justly punished for our sin. Jesus justly died for sin upon the cross. This was an act of justice because sin has to be dealt with. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. The wages of sin is death. And Christ bears that punishment on our behalf on the cross. But when Jesus dies 
apart from the amazing act of grace and mercy it is to free sinners like us, it is just as God punishes that sin there. And we're not to weep for Jesus because Jesus' death was, in the light of all of his saying, absolutely necessary. Those women wept, partly at least, because they were powerless to stop it. If those poor Judean women uh, had been asked for their opinion as Jesus passed them by, if they'd been said, asked, well, look, you can have the final say on this, ladies. If you want this all to stop now and Jesus to be released, we'll do it, if that's what you really want. What would they have said? They would have said, well, they'd been astonished, of course, and it's totally unrealistic, but had they been asked, they would have said, yes, of course, stop it. Stop it now. It's terrible. But this death of Jesus was absolutely vital, absolutely necessary. I remember reading once of uh, preaching of George Whitfield, the great 18th century evangelist, and he was preaching in the, uh, in the, the private rooms of, uh, uh, I think it was uh, Lord Chesterfield or something like that, and he was preaching there, and he was so gripping because he was so amazingly powerful in his uh, imagery and the way he preached and the passion of his preaching that uh, uh, Chesterfield was on the, uh, uh, the, the edge of his seat. And when, uh, uh, when uh, Whitfield was um, describing the scene that we're looking at here of, of Jesus going to the cross and being taken to the cross. Chesterfield leaps out of his seat and he shouts out, he says, by God, he said, if I had been there with my troop of men, I'd have stopped it straight away. And um, you think to yourself, well, thank God I wasn't there. What would you have done? What would you have felt? If you've known what you know now about the gospel and what Jesus did upon the cross, how would you have felt? What could you have done? Supposing you had the power to stop it somehow. You had a, a modern weapon or something. I don't know. What could you have done to have stopped it? And you wouldn't have done so anyway if you understood what was at stake. They weren't to weep because this was the most necessary thing, absolutely necessary. How else could sin be paid for except by this great exchange? Jesus dies in our place upon the cross so that we, instead of dying, should live eternally. That's the great exchange, isn't it? That's what lies at the heart of the gospel. It was absolutely necessary for that reason. We're not to cry. We're not to weep at the death of Jesus because the Lord Jesus Christ was in any case going to rise in glorious triumph and all his people with him. This was no mere ignominious end to a bright young life. When Jesus cries with a loud voice, it is finished. He means not all oh, my dreams were finished. It means it is accomplished. It has been achieved. The great goal of my life, which was originally planned in eternity past, and which came to fruition throughout these recent years, has now been achieved as in my death I free all the people that I and my Father long shall be freed from their bondage of sin so that they can live with me for all eternity, have their lives transformed now in time and live with me in all eternity because they have my righteousness in exchange for their sin and punishment. 
What a glorious thing that is. Not to weep when we, we consider the scene. It's a terrible scene. Of course it's terrible. I'm not saying we're to be impassive and not moved by the cross. Of course we are to be. But it must be informed by the truth. And what must ultimately cheer our hearts and thrill us is the thought and the knowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rise from the dead on the third day and all of us who believe in him down the ages will rise in him. How glorious that is. And all is going to be uh, fulfilled. These women <laughs> thought their hopes were about to be dashed. Maybe they thought that Jesus was going to be the Messiah that they thought they should have and, and throw out the Romans and all of that sort of thing. They thought their hopes were dashed. But in fact, far deeper hopes were being realized. Far deeper hopes were being fulfilled in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing that is. Jesus, we're not to weep for Jesus as he goes to the cross because Jesus is our only hope. And uh, the lives of countless millions hang upon the fact that Jesus dies upon the cross. Um, and for us, as well as for those women, our only hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ and his atoning death. So let's not weep for Jesus, but rather, secondly, let's weep for ourselves and for our children. May need a little explanation of this. Look at this, verse 29. Jesus says, weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. And then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? And what this refers to, of course, is the coming of the Romans soon. It's going to be just 40 years, four decades, until the Romans get completely, utterly fed up with Jewish rebellions and say, we've got to put this out once and forever. And... Uh, Titus and his armies enter in and uh, Jerusalem is, uh, as you surely know, in AD 70, raised to the ground by um, the uh, uh, Romans and their armies and uh, with terrible slaughter because um, the people just, they wouldn't give up their holy city and uh, men, women and children died like flies in that terrible time. And he's referring to that, of course, in what he's saying here. And he's saying many are going to die, many are not going, just not going to be saved. Everything is going to change. And if the people's fate was sealed then, when the tree was green, when things are not finally ready for the judgment of God upon all humanity, which is surely going to come, if when the tree is comparatively green, like... Uh, um, wood that's just been cut down that doesn't burn very well. Um, if, if this is going to happen when the tree is green, what's going to happen when it's dry? What's going to happen when the wood is aged? What's going to happen when the time for judgment is going to come upon the whole earth? And when God is ready to say, yes, I have gathered in all those who are going to be saved. What's it going to be like then? That's what Jesus is saying in those words there. Uh, if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? And uh, 
he's, he's, he's quoting from uh, Hosea here. They will say to the mountains, fall on us, to the hills, cover us. As people fled from the Roman invasion and uh, slaughter. Uh, they sought anywhere to hide. And of course, the book of Revelation takes up these words as well, doesn't it? And tells us that ultimately, uh, those who are going to be present when God comes to judge the whole world, when the tree is dry, he, they're going to say, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. They're called out for the mountains and the rocks to hide them, but there will be no hiding place. And Jesus warns them. He's saying, look, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves, for your, your children, for your, your little ones and their children, and for the generations to come down to this time and whatever time is left before the Lord comes and brings this world to a close as we know it. Weep for yourselves. And so these words here leave us with this reflection and lead us and, and call for some response to ourselves. Yes, we've been reading about a wrong response to Jesus' death, a response that is purely emotional, purely natural, but it begs for a response that is true, that is understanding, and that is ultimately spiritual. And that's the response that God commands of us. Don't respond in that way, but do respond in this way, says Jesus. Weep for yourselves and for your children. And that implies, if we're going to be able to obey that second command, that we have understood something at least of all the things that I've been speaking about. Who the Lord Jesus Christ is, what he came to do, and what he achieved upon the cross. It implies that we realize that what he achieved upon the cross was for us, and not just for us generally, but for me in particular. It means that you understand that you personally have benefited eternally and spiritually and wonderfully from the death of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. And if we realize that, then very soon we'll be weeping for ourselves and for our sins. When we realize that for the first time and realize what Christ has done for us, the, ex the extremity to which he went upon a cross just for us and for me, because if he wanted to save me and nobody else, he would still have had to have gone that way. As we personally accept this and see this for ourselves, then we'll soon learn to weep for ourselves. But then the glorious thing is that when we truly learn to weep for ourselves, it's not long before we discover that we are weeping tears of joy as we realize the salvation he's achieved for us. Tears of repentance always lead to tears of joy. The depth of your understanding and spiritual response to Christ's work upon the cross will lead to a great sense in proportion of wonder and joy and thanksgiving for the Lord Jesus Christ and all he means to you and your determination 
to live for him in this life. That's a sign of true conversion, isn't it? That's a sign that you're among those that God planned from all eternity shall be amongst the saved in glory in eternity to come.